0: Welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things the English Football Pyramid. On tonight's episode, we'll have a review of the weekend's Premier League action and wider EFL. A look ahead as the European campaigns get underway starting tomorrow. A quick check on in a few Oval Towns FA Cup dreams still alive. And we'll finish with a quick look at tonight's Monday Night Football between Forest and Burnley. I'm your host, Alex Murphy. and Once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Boys, let's start with a familiar story this season, uh, United versus Brighton, another loss for United, meaning they've made their worst start for a season in, I think, nine years. Uh, however, nobody seems to be all that surprised. Laura, I'll come to you first. Can I get your thoughts on them, but maybe more importantly, your thoughts on
1: Brighton? Yeah, well, if you cast your mind back to the last podcast, I think me and Tom have both predicted that this kind of situation would happen. And Whether or not Man United are playing very well at the moment, Brighton definitely are. And we were speaking today about, I think Tigo put something in the group chat about the injuries that Man United have got. But you look at that Brighton team on Saturday, there was no Nciso, no Esther Penan, no Sonny March. Um, Webster was on the bench. Gilmore was on the bench. Ferguson played five minutes. And this is a Brighton team that have lost £170 million worth of their central midfield in the summer. And they're still going to Man United and picking up all three points and winning convincingly. and I've only watched the highlights, but they seem to miss quite a lot of chances as well. And obviously there's one goal in particular that's been doing the rounds about how you do pass it out from the back. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that has to lead to a defence split and pass that beats the press. You can just frustrate the team and demoralise the team and suck the soul out of Man United, which they managed to do at the weekend, and score that amazing goal, which culminated in, I think... um, Pascal Gros sitting down Andrew Martinez and and firing it into the bottom corner. So not really a lot to say on Man United. It is exactly what I expected. You didn't have anyone to put um, anyone to match Brighton's finesse and the way that they've been coached and the way that they're playing at the moment. And it was an expected result for me. So I'm not sure how um, you boys saw it, but I can imagine Tomo disappointed with uh, coming away with nothing from Old Trafford at the weekend.
2: Uh yeah, look, listen. Um, very disappointing as a United fan, but I'm glad Murph. We started off giving praise to Brighton because I'm sure we will dissect and talk about United's um, shortcomings. But it was so impressive, and I agree with everything you say, Lauro. I was going to bring up the fact that they made six changes, um, and they just looked unbelievable. Obviously, the game itself, United actually started quite well the first 15 to 20 minutes we, we were sort of well we were all over Brighton to be honest it took we we made the decision to play a diamond in midfield basically because of the whole Anthony situation and I think that sort of threw Brighton off um, for the first 15 to 20 minutes but just like any other good side Derby and Brighton managed to sort of tweak it a little bit and they sort of forced the play out wide and Tarek Lamptey forced the uh, sort of Scott McTominay out wide or Ericsson out wide. And and they just got the better of us. And and like you say, we, we predicted a Brighton win. It's not a surprise anymore. They've won their last four league games against United. Um I think the aggregate score will now be 10-2. Pascal Gross pops up with another goal. He's now scored seven, I believe, against United, which is, he's only scored... In the league, that is, and he's only scored twenty-eight altogether. So he scored twenty-five percent of his Premier League goals against Man United. So absolutely That's not real, yeah. So he absolutely loves it against us. But if we come on to United, I suppose we, we will have to. The problem with United is we're just absolutely so easy to play against. So easy, like you're talking about that little clip, Laura, of um, Gross's goal, and albeit that is fantastic. Play from Brighton when you sort of like. I look, I, I actually watched that clip just before we come on, um, come on here. Actually, and um, you just if you look closely at the United players and the press, it's like, okay, Casemiro's decided that he'll press quickly, and you think, oh, okay, he's gone, but he's only going by himself. And then you've got Bruno at one stage goes, but he's only going by himself. And the, the problem with that is. Like this is elite Premier League football. Like Brighton are an elite team. They're in Europe now. They're like he's an elite coach. Like you just you can you can play through that. Like so it is wor- it is worrying, even more worrying that, that we're in um in the Elianz Arena on Wednesday, um with a stadium I don't think we've ever won at. So I, I don't predict a um, a win for United there. Uh, it's just I don't know. Yeah, maybe we should talk more about United. I- Big big worries for me is the form of Lissandro Martinez and Casemiro. And I think if you're Eric Ten Hag, Lissandro Martinez's form will be a big worry, just in the simple fact that he was your your signing. Casemiro, okay, probably wasn't Ten Hag's number one signing. That was Dion, wasn't it? But both of those players have been signed by Ten Hag, under Ten Hag, and they've, they've had shocking starts to the season. And they were probably... United's two best players last season, along with maybe Rashford. So, so yeah. Um Did you think it was a goal or not, Hoysland's?
0: No, nah, I think the ball's out. Uh, yeah. It reminded
1: me of that one in the World Cup. Do you remember Japan-Spain? And it looked... Was- the bottom of the ball was out. But, like, yeah. the side of it, they give it, didn't they? They let it stand because it was like... It looked like that to me. I, I would have been disappointed if I was a... Unless Listen, there's an angle that I haven't seen.
0: The Premier League technology now seems to be behind the World Cup. So I think with the offside, obviously the Garnacho one was given offside, but looked like a weird angle. We'll obviously speak Arsenal Everton later and the Enketia one looked a weird angle. But do you remember in the World Cup, it would like cut to yeah. a solid block line and it would show you the part of the body that was through that line. And it was kind of hard to then... Call off the technology and I think in the World Cup it went to like above the ball didn't it and sort of showed how the ball had stayed in play I don't know if that was in game or post game but if that technology exists I know that doesn't happen very often in the Prem and it's kind of a a single case that for, for this season but technology like that kind of puts it to bed because it looks out because you can see the grass, can't you? And I, I think it actually was out. And I think the technology would show that, but there's that whole debate, isn't there, that it's a sphere football. And so therefore the, the side of the ball could still be in play. But but listen,
2: the, Snorky, can I just quickly look? Yeah, go on. I, I do agree with you boys that it's obviously a contentious um, decision. The technology may or may not have been right, but at the end of the day, I don't really want to talk about a decision when you when we so sort of we get beat so handsomely on the on the day. Brighton deserved the win. It doesn't. Like, moments though, Tomo. They're, they're big, big moments. Scoring, scoring yeah, in the fortieth or whatever minute it would have been to. I agree. I, look, listen, I agree, but from the angle that we were given on VAR, okay, it might not be a World Cup angle, like you're saying. It looked like it was out to me, so. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not it wasn't like a blatant, obvious error. It looked like it, it it was out. I mean, you are right, it was a massive moment in the game, especially got Hoyland scoring, sort of momentum changes, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I do agree with you there, but if we're looking and, and sort of analysing over the course of the game, like Brighton deserved to win and and yeah. I just think it's
0: such a big moment that you then go in potentially at half time and you're back level and the crowd's buzzing and your new £70 million striker's had a bright start at yeah. Arsenal in a cameo, scored a goal. The Stretford ends up, United's crowd's going, the players are buzzing, and we could be now having a different conversation. And I know we say fine margins every time on this pod, but what is now a really, really poor start at United? the games that they've they've lost have been decided by moments like that. So um yeah, it's
2: can it's I just bring yeah. up a quick stat as well, actually, Murph? So so obviously after the game, Eric Ten Hag made like these slightly weird, strange comments about how sure. um every team in the Premier League spends money these days and Brighton have spent money and and when United spend money, it's all inflated prices. And then I think it was Match of the Day or maybe Sky Sports, they put up a stat, didn't they? And it was like the Brighton starting 11 was worth 16 million quid. Yeah. And it's just like, and Laura, we we all, and the three of us, we all debate on our WhatsApp chats about whether, like what what are the biggest issues at United? Is it the Glazers? Is it the coaching? And the reality is that Brighton from top to bottom have got every one of those sort of things ticked off, haven't they? Like the the owners are spot on, recruitment spot on. The coach is clearly right up there at the very top. And I wouldn't be surprised if, say, if Guardiola left City in the summer, if they go go and get Deserbi because he he looks he looks the real deal, doesn't he? To be honest, so it it was just that that Saturday performance and the two clubs coming together. It was a sign of basically where the two clubs are. Basically, United are shambles. And Eric Ten Hag has got a big job on his hands um, and a massive, a massive job, really, to change the culture at the club. Um, and then, obviously, Deserbi, De he just comes in last season, slots in because the, because the club's run so well, because everything's running so well. Potter was doing a good job. He just slots in and just takes it to a new level.
1: Yeah. And that's how well run football clubs are. And you're right, Brighton of the story of that game they deserve to win and we should be speaking about them but you run out of superlatives for them when you especially when you look at that starting lineup. no disrespect it's just it looks like almost almost like a second string team and they just keep on getting these results so and we'll come on to it in a minute obviously they've got a European campaign that's going to start and if they can make six changes and go to Old Trafford and win you'd fancy them to be able to rotate the squad quite well but can I just make a point on United you're right we discussed like what the problem is there and I don't disagree um, with fans that say look the Glazers aren't ideal. I agree, you know, they definitely need to um, try and find a new ownership model and that will bring Man United to life and maybe replenish some of the things that have been left to rot over the last few years. But when you have people that are associated with the club, high profile people, Gary Neville, for example, and people come out and say, nothing changes until the Glazers go. All that does for me as a neutral is create like an excuse mentality whereby every time you get turned over, oh, the Glazers are still here. You've got to remember, you've still got a manager, a coaching staff and a very expensively assembled group of players who still need to be held to account for their performances that aren't good enough at the moment, in my opinion. So regardless of what goes on at the top, which I agree needs to change and needs to improve because, um, as you say, Murph, in in an elite sport, it's the little ones and two percents here and there that get you to the very top. But that doesn't mean to say that you need to spend week after week getting under par results for a team that still costs an awful lot of money.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Laurie. The one thing I will add that Gary Neville, I think, I don't know if this was at the Arsenal game, maybe arsenal Everton game, but he's speaking about it. Always seems, by the way, side note, that every six months, it seems to be at Super Sunday, Gary Neville does like an on-air passionate rant about United done It's it. Groundhog Day, isn't it? I know, I know. And ju- just before, I'll come back to that Gary Neville point because there's another point I wanted to raise, but it's the right time to do it now, is Adam Crafton at The Athletic, he quote tweeted one of his tweets today. So... 19th of August, 2018, Manchester United, one of those teams you watch and wonder what on earth they do in training all week. Like really, what are they trying to be? They aren't organised well. They don't keep the ball well. They don't press well. They don't defend set pieces well. They don't seem to have any routines going forward. That's five years ago. And as you say, it is Groundhog Day with that, isn't it? But just to go back to the uh, Gary Neville point, he actually said that he doesn't think that some of the players are like good enough at United. And then you start to think to yourself, well, go through the transfer fees for all of them and all of the that assembled squad. If you're then saying that the problem is that these players aren't good enough to be at Man United with the fees that we have uh, paid for them, that is like really, really worrying then on top of that because you're almost starting to say then United need another rebuild, which we say every single two years.
1: But not being funny, right? What so that team isn't good enough to beat Brighton? It, and it, and like, then you look at door you door door the team. You've got Danny Welbeck, Adam Lalana, Van Heck, who was on loan, I think, at Blackburn like the year before last. Players that have hardly played Premier League football going to Old Trafford and winning. I know it's a, a bigger picture and a wider issue, and maybe the players aren't good enough. I, I also saw a comment. I think it was Gary Neville again, saying he's worried that Erik ten Hag's having too much say over the transfers, and they're not strong enough at the top. Well. Who do you want picking your players? Surely Eric Taylor comes in and he's implemented the style of Ajax that was impressive enough. It was Ajax he came from, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. That that, And that's why they recruited him. And now you're saying that you want someone else making the track. I think it's just every time you lose or every time, which is quite often now, every time there's a poor performance, you sort of you go back and forth thinking, what on earth's the matter? And I agree that there needs to be change at the top, but there also just needs to be accountability and not this narrative going along in the background, that it's okay because we're just waiting until we get new owners. Because that might not happen for a long time.
2: Yeah, it's look, listen, I I agree with everything you're saying in terms of, look, Ten Hag and his coaching staff have clearly made some errors um, and been... I don't know, like, at the end of the day, if you look at what Ten Hag's had to deal with in... His first, what has it been 14, 15 months since he's been in charge? It's crazy. And it's and most of the stuff is like off off-field issues. And I know that a lot, a lot comes, <clears throat> a lot comes with the Manchester United job, but he's he's starting to look for me anyway. I think he's starting to look a bit frustrated with it all and look and just looking like knackered from the whole thing. Like having to deal with like, I know the Sancho thing, we can all sort of potentially agree that was he brought it on himself but you've got the Anthony thing Greenwood Maguire stuff Ronaldo obviously last season was like a massive story and I I felt like he dealt with that well he like the culture at the club has been rotten really since Fergie left I mean and it's it's sort of become a graveyard for players who want to get overpaid um it's a graveyard it's a a chance for agents to link their players to that club because they know, do you know what I mean? And clubs come to United and and overcharge them for for players like and like the whole Anthony thing. There was a story this week that um that one of Anthony's ac- uh, accusations against him with this domestic violence stuff happened three three or four months before United signed him, so United could have found out that that about that and not and not paid eighty million for him. But there's somewhere, there's something broken in the club that means we're not doing our due diligence. We're not doing anything right. And it all bleeds down. I know you are right. On the pitch, may be different. And Rashford's not playing on the weekend, going, oh, the ownership at this club's not very good. So I might just not, not try that hard. But it's a culture, isn't it? And it's an environment. And yeah. the culture and the environment at the club for a long time has basically been set up to fail and obviously on the flip side brighton's is is set up to succeed um but oh, yeah no we can we can bang on about like the the sort of the reasons why united are struggling um all we want really but i mean maybe we should sort of um maybe we should discuss the champions league and europa league games that come yeah, that-
0: up. Let, let's do that. Let's move on to the Champs League and, and we'll talk about Brighton's tie as well because United are, are going to Bayern Munich. I think United fan expectation seems to be at an all-time low considering now that nobody's surprised and actually people called that they, they'd they be losing a, a home fixture to Brighton and, and lost it handsomely. Probably going there, as I say, with little expectation to pick anything up and, and probably people thinking to get through that group they're going to need to finish second behind Bayern but potentially one where they might galvanise the dressing room and go on an away day where no one's backing us and a bit of a, let's show a bit of character. Ten hard keeps saying character in all his press conferences since the weekend. So the, I, I actually think in a weird way, I prefer that fixture to maybe Galatasaray home on Wednesday, which could just be another game where we get turned over at Old Trafford where we're not playing well. Potentially one where low expectations and a bit of a free hit. Ma-
2: oh, sorry, go on.
0: Because Laurie looks yeah. like he's uh, hes predicting. No, I
1: just, I don't, I think that's wishful thinking. The only thing I would say is I'm not, I and mean, this is a total guess, I'm not 100% sure how good Bayern Munich are at the moment. And I know that's ridiculous because they've just won the league 10 years in a row, but they only just won it last year. And they're sort of joint top with Leverkusen at the moment. I, I can, Again, only been a few games, but they drew at the weekend. And I think there's slight murmurs. They're, not, they're maybe not quite the force that they were a few years ago with more, more of a prime Muller and Lewandowski and things like that. Um, but of course, they've got Harry Kane now. And I don't see anything other than that man getting on the score sheet and um, being a nail in another nail in United's coffin, to be honest with you. But Tigo, do you have any more optimism?
2: Well, I was just the, what I was going to jump in and say basically was that it's a massive opportunity for the players to react to that sort of poor performance um, at the weekend. The only thing we will say about that is these players have had many opportunities to perform well, and they like they'll go to Anfield and lose seven nil, or do you know what I mean? Or they'll go to City and lose six three, albeit United scored two in the last two minutes or something. So it's really sort of a six one. It was a, it was a demolition. Um, you are right. There are some murmurs and sort of some things where, well, some reports saying that they're not too happy with Tuchel, um at Bayern. And he's, I think he's fallen out with Kimmich and about whether, whether where he plays. He's sort of said a lot in the, in the press about how he's not happy with the recruitment, albeit they have got Harry Kane. So if United are to get a result there, you'll have, like, I think we're going to have to score two at least because Kane's bagging one, isn't he? Yeah. Um, but you are right, Murph. It is a, it's a massive opportunity. And like you say, a bit of a free hit. But I'm with you, Laura. I just think Bayern will just just win, won't they?
1: <laughs> to be fair, though, the whole point of getting in the Champions League in the first place... You're on mute, by the way, Murph. The whole point of getting in is having these big nights. There's, so there's no point getting in the Champions League. And then when it comes to Bayern Munich away, being out, like, oh, God, we're just going to lose. So you, you're right to have optimism. You want these big European nights, don't you? You want to go to the Allianz and do you get another goal like Patrice Ever got all those years ago and one of these big crazy nights like you had at PSG a few years ago. And sometimes that can act as a catalyst to kick on your league form. So you're right. A good opportunity. Let's see if you can take it. I'll be watching. um Very intrigued.
0: Yeah, we will see how that goes. I think that's my my, uh, my hope is it is some sort of catalyst because we've got a little run of winnable prem fixtures now. Um, and, and hoping that that can spearhead it. But another injury uh, for United Aaron Wambasak are going to be out for a couple of months now a hamstring. So it looks like Dallow and Regulon are going to be sort of two games a week now through till Christmas, um, unless they can get some other defensive cover in, like maybe Melassia back. And I think Ten Hag called out that Amra back can play at fullback. So be interested to see if that happens but not not looking great there for uh for united on the squad front either um and then just quickly brighton as well kick off their european campaign um at home to aek um which i think that's a greek side um i was actually going to pick up on the point that playing europa league football sometimes affects your premier league form just based on squads but it's such a good point that that laurels made there that they've kind of gone second string at united and and one so handsomely and they can bring six or seven. It's probably harsh on the players who started, but you know, have five or six regular names missing um, that they can go and rotate on Thursday before then hosting Bournemouth at the weekend. So they, they look well set. I think the biggest threat to them is going to be keeping uh, their manager in in a year's time, Uh, or maybe even sooner if clubs like United or Newcastle start making rash decisions. Uh, Boys, we'll move on to Spurs. So, Looked at that one and saw Spurs losing late, late on and thought that that was potentially the uh, the first kind of bit of bad news for for Big Ange beyond the uh, Carling cut, which people have got views on anyway. Um, but managed to turn it round. He's since come out, said he doesn't want the fans to stop dreaming, haven't got European football, and, and they just continue to impress. Laurie?
1: Yeah, for me, it's just another checkpoint When you get a new manager, you look for these things to happen, don't you? He's come in. He dealt with a Harry Kane situation quite well, I thought. He's um, implemented his way of playing. He's changed to a back four. He's got his best players firing. He started the season well, and then this one was the one where you go one nil down and have you got the character? It's not a Spursy thing to do, is it? To be one nil down in the ninety fifth minute and get two two goals back and win the game. And I think the scenes, I think there was a couple, uh, I think the winning goal you might have put on football tweet or something, Tomo, but the limbs and the crowd just looks different at Spurs now. And it's obviously largely down to that manager. So, and people are saying, they're celebrating like they're winning the Champions League. No, they're celebrating the the three points. It doesn't matter whether you're playing Sheffield United or Man City, the three points are the same and they've just got them when three minutes earlier, it could have been zero. So now they go into the North London derby full of hope, vigor and uh, renewed optimism under Ange Postecoglou, who, like you said, that comment, I'd love that. When he just said, no, 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 no. Let the fans dream, mate. Just love it. Love everything about him and um, love what's happening at Spurs at the moment. And I just hope it can keep snowballing for them. Don't have the European distraction. And uh, yeah, great three points. Great comeback.
2: Yeah, do you know what, Um, as well, I just wanted to jump in. Well, he admitted in the week, didn't he, before he got to got back to Tottenham from Brazil that he's been struggling mentally. Um, and we've all, probably us included, um, sort of battered his form a little bit. He's look he's looked poor, isn't he? Um but you, we sort of sometimes forget that these guys obviously going through things off the pitch that is affecting their form, which we obviously weren't we weren't to know about. But it's good to see him come off the bench. Um, I think he got the goal, which is a good header. And then he set up Kulusevski for the second. So it was a great moment for him. You saw that, um, I think I saw a picture Tottenham tweeted of um, Sonny sort of like pulling Richarlison to the Spurs fans, as if to say, like, this is the reason why we won this game. And you're right. Like, Ange, do you know what? What, what Ange has done at that club um, in comparison to obviously Conte last year makes me think that what we have just spoke about with Ten Hag and the Glazers just means nothing. Like because if Ange can do that at Tottenham, why can't Ten Hag just do that at United? Because do you know what I mean? He's made such a big difference in the whole club and the feel of everything. And you're right to say that like like last year they would have just lost that game one 0 and Conte would have gone gone into the um gone into the post match press conference and fired some bullets somewhere and said, oh we should have signed this person or or what do you expect? This is Tottenham like we are where we are and. And just instead sort of created this this um winning mentality. Um it's it's exciting to see. And if I was a Spurs fan, I'd 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 be really excited. The, what what I found interesting, I guess, mostly about this game and potentially more as the Premier League progresses, is that the the equalizer was in the 97th minute and the winner was in the hundredth minute. Like these things are becoming more and more regular because of obviously the time wasting rules and I don't know if you brought up Heck and Bottom's um, rant about, I don't know what you boys thought of Heckenbottom's rant about the the officials. And look, at the end of the day, they've obviously like Howard Webb has obviously said, look, we're we're bringing in these these this more added time because of time wasting. So now we're getting goals, like you say, in the 98th minute, 99th minute, Arsenal did it against United. Um so we'll see it a lot more. And it, and it, I, I guess it makes for more exciting finishes to the game. Yeah, they, they did it in the
0: World Cup, didn't they? And um, I'm actually all for it, to be honest. I, as someone who probably uh, watches games sometimes with a bet on it and worry too much about that rather than enjoying the football, there's nothing more frustrating than when you need something to happen in a football game for your ACA and keepers are like lying down on the floor with the ball for seconds, or people are taking ages over a throw in or, you know, someone's passing the ball to take a set piece and they're sort of booting it away or whatever. So I think this teaches team's lessons, you know, the hecking rant is that their keeper got booked in the first half for handling outside the box. And then the refs threatening him uh, with sending him off because he's not passing the ball out. And they're saying that he's saying that the refs are telling him, the keeper to kick it long when their whole thing they've worked on on the training pitch is to um, play it out from the back. But yeah, that's fine if you're going to do that and do that in training. But if the Tottenham players come and stand and mark you and press you so that you can't play short, the rest point is you need to go direct because you've got to start play. I'm blowing the whistle. You've got six seconds to take it. If your two full backs can't be clipped to, and your two centre backs that have split can't be passed to because Tottenham have works that out and done it that keeper needs to get rid of the ball he even needs to play short to someone who's under pressure and as he then got the bollocks to play out or you go direct so heck and bottom saying that that's not off the back of the result and he was saying it at one nil to them at time. but that that's the nature of the game now if you're going to time waste the time's going to be added on there you know i know players and managers don't like it but it's here for that season and it's not that sheffield united have been robbed there they conceded goals that have been in the allotted time of the football match
2: so yeah, so I just want, on Sheffield United, an interesting um, fact about that game was that Chris Wilder was there. Um, don't know whether he was a guest of the Sheffield United owner, um, but the rumours are that it, that he might be coming back. Um, Sheffield United, they've got the second. I know you're gonna slag me off here, Lauro, but I'm gonna say it anyway. They've got the second worst xG in the Premier League. They've had the first least shots in the Premier League. And they've got the second worst XG against in the Premier League. So they're poor. And and it is to be expected. So and I and I, know I don't want to dampen on Spurs's um celebrations because the manner of victory was fantastic and the scenes and the limbs in the Tottenham Stadium was great, but into context, Sheffield United are crap. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, those expected stats or whatever it is, um, they are to be expected. Though, she- Sheffield United have just been promoted, and it's very—it's getting harder and harder for promoted teams to gain a foothold in the Premier League with the sort of um, the differences between the Championship and and the Premier League, money-wise and stuff like that. But you're right about Paul Heckenbotton's under pressure out of nowhere, and. The Sheffield United owner fell out with Wilder at the back end of his tenure there, but he's recently made some comments to say that they've patched things up. And he actually gave Chris Wilder credit for Sheffield United's promotion last year, saying, well, it was largely his team anyway. So I think there's quite a lot to be read into the fact that Chris Wilder was at Tottenham um, on Saturday. But I think Paul Heckenbottom, I mean, you can't, he did a marvelous job getting them up last season, I thought, just under the radar cruised it really Burnley with the, the story in the championship but Sheffield United were home and dry as well and I think he should be given a longer time but you made the comparison there why can't Eriten Hag do what we're seeing Ange do at Spurs at the moment he's a very special guy and I know you guys are starting to sort of build an admiration for him but I've been on the Ange train for a long time and you, you'd have heard me say one of the first times we spoke about him I'd run for a brick wall for him and imagine playing for him. And it's not just the players. It will be the staff around the ground. It's probably even his ability to manage up with Daniel Levy and have the conversations. The way that he says things, can you imagine saying no to him or arguing with him or not wanting to keep going to the last second of the game? It's infectious. And that's why you could just tell a mile off that he was going to be a good appointment and that whatever happens at that club, they're going to like him. And they're going to do everything they can. And they've got the tools there. They've got the stadium. They've got the fan base. They've got some very, very good players. Okay, they've lost Kane. But that just makes it even more impressive what they're doing now. So whilst it's good for Tottenham, I want to keep sing his, singing his praises as much as possible. Um, and I long may it continue, because what a guy. Yeah, I will just say on that Ten Hag point though, Tomo,
0: this time last year, which was Ten Hag's first season... We were fifth, I think, after five games and it was like Man United are back and we went on to win a trophy. So Big Ange is flying, but, you know, he's still in his first season, still in his honeymoon period. So let's keep that conversation going. I'm uh, I'm not fully on board the train, but I completely get why, uh, why people are. And just the final point on Paul Heckenbottom as well, guys, is that I saw that news as well. Uh, today about Chris Wilder. But Sheffield United tweeted this afternoon saying fifty-one percent with a green tick and said the best win ratio of any Sheffield United manager in the top two divisions, Paul Heckenbottom. So I think that's sure first sign that he'll be gone next weekend. Uh when they <laughs> lose <laughs> uh so so yeah so we'll keep keep an eye on that one. Boys, we will move on then. Um and next up we're gonna have a chat about West Ham versus uh Man City. Um because again yeah. uh, yeah, I know, I know. A game, a game that we potentially thought West Ham uh, could could get a result in. I think they were top of Loro's ex-expected points uh, table. And it was an off day for Haaland and City have still won handsomely. Um, I know it's boring, but we will touch on them. Tomo,
2: they're just rampant, aren't they? Yeah, they're just too good, aren't they? And the, the pop, we spoke about it before. The problem with City at the minute is like the lack of jeopardy. And what makes football so great and um, watching football is like, you don't know what's going to happen. Whereas it just seems like city are just an inevitable inevitability. He touched on Harland. Like he missed some cities that game. And you just think, and it wasn't just like he had, I think he had nine shots or something or, and he missed some really guilt edged opportunities. He scored seven in five Premier League games and arguably he's not really played well which is mental to say because he scored 7 and 5 um but he should have got he probably should have got hat trick again on on saturday i uh, wanted to touch on jeremy doku who i thought looked absolutely electric i think match of the day did a piece on him and i wanted to bring up guardiolas comments about him and i thought well basically guardiola said that he's like a proper winger and he absolutely loved what he did and his um it wasn't just how Basically positive, what he was, it was he was able to make the right pass or make the right decision, and I am reading way too much into this and overanalyzing, but I suppose that's what you do when you when you talk on a podcast twice a week. But I just think is that like a little bit of a dig at Jack Grealish because Grealish has taken. I know he he was okay last year, but obviously his stats say sort of otherwise. But
0: Just on that, because I don't think you're reading too much into that at all, and I'm going to bring Loro in here just to have a bit of a chat about Jack Grealish and his time at City, just from a uh, conversation I know he's had recently.
1: Yeah, well, Jack Grealish is a player that I absolutely loved at Aston Villa for quite a few years, and when he went to City, like in the Euros, I wanted him to start. When he went to City, I thought it was a great signing, but I, I just think... Last season in particular, I mean, his first season wasn't very good, but last season he got a lot of plaudits and it was sort of like, ah, the second season, now here it is. But I just think in amongst that treble win, I think it's something like six goals, seven assists, all competitions. And you compare that to Riyad Mahrez, which is something like 15 goals, 13 assists, all competitions. And Mahrez is gone now. And Mahrez was sort of behind him, I think, in the pecking order for the bigger game, certainly last season. I do think there's questions to be asked with him at City, and Tigel's grinning like a Cheshire cat as if I've said something wrong on the stats there. So we'll bring him in and see what he wants to say.
2: No, no. So for someone who hates stats so much, I'm surprised you're putting a lot of weight into that. Like because the reality is, he okay, his goals and assists aren't up there, but he was the mainstay in that City treble-winning side. So we can sort of slate him or, or whatever, but his performances last season was good. He just wasn't, yeah. maybe just wasn't getting the numbers.
1: But I think, I think, no, I think you've misinterpreted my position on stats and don't be embarrassed about it. We all make mistakes. What I don't like is those expected <laughs> stats, which is just fairy tale stuff. But I think when you're playing in that left wing position, for instance, if when Sadio Mane was at Liverpool, that wouldn't have been a good enough return. And I just don't understand how you can play there and return that. He played something like, I think, 45 games, and they got to the final of most of the competitions, and you're scoring six goals. Who who am I to question?
2: No, but you know, but pe- listen, Pep
1: played pe- 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 him in all the big games. So, but I, I just think there's a question mark. I st- I love Jack Greenish. I want him to do well. Yeah. I would just like to see him score more. But I am a I am a, like an output fan. I love my favorite ever midfielders are Lampard and Joel, just because I I like players that score goals all the time. So that's probably clouded my judgment a little bit. I just think if Jeremy Doku comes in, like you just alluded to, and starts scoring, he might find it hard to get a regular place back in the team.
2: Yeah, and do you know what with Doku as well is that Jack Grealish doesn't have is that electric pace. Like, Grealish is obviously really good at taking players on and winning fouls, and but he's not got that, do you know what I mean? Like, like that yes. electric pace that Doku just seems to have where you just can go either way and it almost, like, if you're defend, I'd rather, I don't know whether I'd rather defend more against Doku or Grealish just for the simple fact that Doku's a lot quicker um,
1: but how good to have both of those options, right? Well, listen, like, I know eight, that, one, you can use the other.
2: Yeah, it's they're a cheat code, and obviously, Alvarez looked looked amazing again. What I just wanted to touch on West Ham quickly because obviously, War Prowse got the goal. Um, I actually thought they didn't do too badly, to be fair, which is sort of weird to say because they they lost three one at home, but they created a couple of good chances. I thought they acquitted themselves well, and obviously they've had a great start to the season, so they'll be fine. I think I'm I'm right in thinking they're, they're playing a Serbian side on Thursday in Europa League. They'll be looking to get a good win there and sort of get another good European campaign going. So they, they look, they'll be fine. They look good. Um, and yeah, like we touched on at the start, City are just inevitable and it's boring.
0: Yeah, it is boring. Just one other player just to touch on before we move on, because I know another one that we've discussed this week is just... Rodri and whether he's now kind of up there as best midfielder in the world. Um, We've obviously mentioned about Jude Bellingham and we even discussed about the thought of those two playing together. But um, I think one of you mentioned it on a previous pod, but he seems to be adding attacking returns and like playing balls into the box and and being kind of part of the play up there now alongside it. And he just seems to be completely running the game. And I'd say probably now up there with one of the best players in the league. Um, just a final point on that I don't know if you boys saw but uh Garth Crooks came out this week and said that uh Carl Walker's 31 playing the best football of his career and uh Crooks has gone early but said he expects him to win Player of the Year this year which I think's a phenomenally early phenomenally early shout from Garth but a uh, testament to how well Carl's playing but also
2: uh, also if Garth said he, he's 31 that's mad because he's 33. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I'm probably in the wrong there, rather than uh, Garth.
1: But uh, not to quote him. Yeah, some yeah, shout Garth. That is a massive. <laughs> a right back to win Player of the Year in September. So, uh,
0: so yeah. But anyway, let's move on from them. Uh, boring conversations. Even their champs League groups boring, isn't it? I think they got Belgrade in the week. and think Leipzig, who they play every year, um, and some gammy other teams So they'll win that on <laughs> 18 points, no doubt um boys so newcastle brentford then a uh, game that i was intrigued by actually because i thought probably one and we discussed it on the last pod as as almost getting close to to must win for eddie howe or just before that a game that he, he needed to get a uh, a decent result in uh to keep the the kind of media at bay but um they managed to go on and get the win but a couple of interesting referee decisions seem to be the talking points of the game tomo yeah look
2: i'd are you talking? So you're talking obviously about the penalty and then the disallowed goal before yeah, that. Yeah,
0: I think I think the disallowed goal for Callum Wilson, I thought wasn't, I thought a really poor refereeing decision. And then I didn't particularly think it was a penalty, so people might say it evens itself out. Yeah,
2: I was, I was. That's exactly what I was going to say. I just thought the first one was a goal and should have stood. I, I rewatched it and just think I agreed with what Callum Wilson said after the game that goalkeepers just get protected and overprotected, and it was just. I don't... He didn't do anything wrong, did he? So, yeah, look, I think those ones evened themselves out. The game itself, I think we predicted it was going to be a bit of a tight, scrappy affair, and it was. Botman came back in for Newcastle and shock, horror, they defended well. Um, so, our sort of analysis of how important he is to that Newcastle side sort of rang true in that game. Um, quick, quick little stat for Callum Wilson. So, the goals per minute since the start of last season, obviously out in front is Erling Haaland, no surprise, a goal every 75 minutes. Second, Callum Wilson, a goal every 98.1 minutes. Um, he scored his last 11 penalties for Newcastle, stretching back to May 2021. Um, Callum Wilson's not started this um, a lot this season. I think that was actually his first start, wasn't it, of the season. He might not be... As good a player as Isak. And I think we can all agree there that Isak is probably a better player. But Callum Wilson scores goals for fun, doesn't he? And he's so important to that team. Um, But it was a good, good win for Newcastle. They needed it after their three defeats. And obviously, they now go to Milan tomorrow, 5.45 kickoff, for a massive game and... They've got the likes of Tanali and Isak, who they rested on the weekend, to come in and start. So yeah, look, good win for them.
1: Laurie. I just... have too much to add. Yeah, I don't have too much to add to that to be fair. I thought it was quite a boring game, but three points was the most important thing, wasn't it? But just quickly, I don't think that's cut and dry Isaac better than Wilson. Obviously, he's younger, he's got that big sixty million pound prize tag, and he's got those sort of athletic attributes that make him stand out. But like you just said from your blinding stats there, goal every ninety-eight minutes, a lot albeit a lot of them at the moment super sub. Yeah. Um, he's a very effective striker and um yeah, very close between those two. I'd say I'd love to see him play together.
0: I was just gonna ask you that, Laurie, do you think there's a, a space for them to play in the same side together? I know that, that Isaac's gone out on wide left before, but they seem to have Gordon and Barnes there. So I don't think they'll do that, but um, you think a team like you've got Alvarez and Harlem playing together, albeit Alvarez seems to be able to play a little bit deeper. Do you, do you see any way of those two getting into the same lineup, or do you think it's just going to be rotation?
1: I don't really like players like Isaac is brilliant because he's a striker. I hate it when you've got two good strikers and you just end up. It was like when um, Dean Smith bought um, Danny Ings into Villa and he ended up losing his job because he changed the whole formation to try and play as two strikers. Like, if you're going to play them both, they both need to play up front. And in the Premier League, you can't really play two up front, can you? You probably can during a game. And if you're losing or if there's something you need to change and you're going to try something different. But I think the best thing for them, or I'd love to see them play together. But I think the way that they play, you're right. They've got good um, good players to select out wide with your Gordons and your Almorons and your Barnes. Let them keep rotating. I expect to see a lot more of that as the Champions League campaign gets underway. Um, And it'll be interesting to see who plays which game. But I think Eddie Howe does a great job with those two um, because they both always seem to... Whoever's playing, the other one seems to come on and score. It wouldn't surprise me to see Isaac go and have a great game against... uh, If they got AC Milan tomorrow. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think that's probably... uh, You said, Tomo, first game that Wilson started, but probably... they went into the team meeting before to find out the starting eleven. the one game where he was praying he wasn't starting, because maybe yeah. Lee, maybe points his head that he won't be in Milan. Um, and I think those Newcastle players, there'll be some of them who've, you know, Tenali. I think Botman would have as well with Lille, have played Champs League football, but some of them, it's going to be their their first uh, experience of it. And if you count Wilson, who's, who's ticking past the age of 30 now, I bet he's absolutely desperate to be playing in the San Siro rather than at home to Brentford. Um, So yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how Eddie Howe, who's managed the squad brilliantly, as Loro says, continues to do that with big Champions League fixtures. And just a point on Brentford as well, um, five games for them, six points now. Uh, They've only lost one, but drawn three, and draws are obviously always... uh, affected by the the results that bookend them. A a draw can be a good result if you go on to win the next game, but if you lose it suddenly you've dropped five points. I believe Rico Henry got a bad injury as well, who's an important player for them. I believe they're saying that he might have some ligament damage in his knee. So um, Thomas Franks on Monday Night Football tonight and normally speaks quite well and quite passionately, but really interested to see what he's saying about this season uh, and what his hopes are for Brentford moving forward. Boys, we'll move on again then. Uh, So the next game to have a look at is Wolves versus Liverpool. So drove down to football on Saturday, got into the clubhouse for the team we were playing, saw Wolves 1-0 up and thought potentially a bit of an upset there. But Liverpool seemed to kick on, uh, scored three goals, got the result that they needed to. And, you know, we said sneakily good start before, um, but I don't think it's sneaky anymore. I just think they've made a great start. Tomo?
2: Yeah, look, that game... Um, I watched that game and for the first 45 minutes, Wolves were unbelievable. And I mean, it was like men versus boys. It was basically a classic case of most of the Liverpool players obviously went off to the international break and looked absolutely knackered. Like McAllister had had an absolute mare and got brought off after 45. Um, But we spoke about it before. I'm sure we'll speak about it again. Wolves looked great going forward, created loads of chances, just couldn't finish. And when it went in at one nil at time, you just what you I was sat there and I was worried for him basically because you knew Liverpool wouldn't be that bad again. And um, they made a couple changes, like I said, ended up bringing Diaz and Nunes on after they got the equalizer. And yeah, Liverpool were just too strong for them in the end. Um, I was really impressed though with um, Wolves' debutant Bellegarde, I think it was, and Pedro Neto. Yeah, he was good yeah and Pedro yeah. Neto in the first half I've honestly he had Joe Gomez on toast the whole half, and it was um it was almost one of the classic cases of you know like a player gets better when they don't play and like Trent Alexander Arnold obviously didn't play because he was injured, and it was like yeah they missed Trent and yeah. um but yeah look it was a really good result in the end for for Liverpool and it i I think going forward they will be looking to play that front three of Diaz on the left, Salah on the right and Nunes up front. And it's just, it's not quite sort of worked out that way where they're starting that at the minute. But that, that's the one that I think is the most electric and the most devastating. Um, so I think going forward, they'll, they'll look to probably implement that, but yeah, it's it's been a good start to the season for them. Yeah, just before Gakpo. Scored. He was about to
1: get taken off because he was getting a bit lost in there. And I don't think he really knows what his position is at the moment. But I just thought it was Wolves were punch drunk. You could just see in that first half, they were overrunning Liverpool by such a distance, it wasn't quite right. And it was like you could just tell they were putting everything into it. And you're right, they did put... was brilliant. Neto was absolutely fantastic. But when that chance that I think Neto, again, set up for Cunha, it came into him at like a mid-level and he sort of jumped and it hit his drift and Liverpool cleared it, you just thought to yourself, nah, if you're going to put that much into this half and try and defend for the second half, You need to get two. And when they didn't get it, I think the writing was on the wall a little bit. I know it's easy to say after the fact, but that's what I thought watching it. But you're right. I I think that front three of uh, Diaz, Salah and Nunes on paper should be the one, shouldn't it? And that'll be the one that will scare the life out of defences lining up against it. So maybe we'll see that start soon.
2: Yeah, just a quick one as well on um, uh, a sort of a a shout for potentially breaking into the England squad. And that'll be Curtis Jones, centre mid. I know he's has his injury issues but when he plays he, he plays really well and he's got a lot of confidence he's got a lot of swagger and I think if he can basically keep fit and play in that cent in, in that central midfield um for Liverpool there's no reason why he shouldn't be sort of knocking on the door at England
0: yeah in interesting take I think Curtis will go on to uh Pledge his allegiance to Wales and find a great grandma who's Welsh when he's it's 2026 and he's no closer to the England squad, but swings around about he's been,
1: he's been about 19 years old for the last 10 years now. How old's Curtis Jones?
0: Let me... <laughs> probably bang on, he probably is still 19. Just while Tomo's doing that, just to say Liverpool kick off their uh, Europa League campaign uh, on Thursday away at a site called uh, Lask. I will be really interested to see. Uh, how Jurgen Klopp sees that trophy this year someone who's won the Prem and Champs League uh, with Liverpool whether he's going to play second string in that uh, and try and keep going with the Prem because they obviously look quite live in the Prem Um, whether he's going to play second string there until it gets to the business ending could potentially uh, win a a trophy there but be interested to see how he deals with that Tomo Curtis 22 yeah I mean Curtis Curtis is still young but I think uh, he'll be He'll be hoping that if his England call up's coming, it's going to have
1: to be soon. Otherwise, well, it's in yeah. a position that we've talked about before, which we're, sh- we're short on, aren't we? Yeah, that's, that's what, why that's what I face said face it. That, that face is face. what. yeah. But, but I, I think, like, probably the mirror image of that, he's still not getting called up, even though we need central midfielders. So, uh, work to do for Curtis on, for me. And he's going to have to obviously
0: deal with Kobe Mainu coming back to United soon, uh, turning our fortunes around and starting in the Euros next to Rice. Um, So, yeah. So Liverpool, great start. Wolves, same as always, same as we always say, can't finish. uh, And they're going to have to start picking up some points soon. Boys, Super Sunday. So Everton versus Arsenal. So um, one of those uh, games that potentially looked like a bit of a stumbling block for Arsenal. Uh, with their recent form at Goodison. Lauro didn't think so. Uh, the Beto bounce that Tomo and I spoke about is well and truly deflated uh, based on on the performance from him on Sunday. Um, one thing I would say on Arsenal, and I think credit to them, is they seem to have a level of resilience now that's not been there to add to their quality. They've got games that they potentially would have lost and haven't been at their kind of fluent best. Uh, they're now grinding out and they've picked up another three points. Lauro?
1: Yeah, well the only the only part of the prediction that didn't come true was the fact that they would score more goals. But sometimes you can batter a team and it be 1-0. Like if that was a boxing fight, it would have been unanimous decision 120, 108 on all three cards. And I mean look, credit to Everton. I thought they did well in large parts of the game to sort of stifle them for straight. But like you've just said, Arsenal have that little bit of mentality now where they'll just keep going, keep grinding out phases of play. And eventually they make the breakthrough. And I don't personally think the first goal was offside, um, but Leander Trossard, hell of a finish for the second one. And the problem with Everton is if you're going to sit, I think their defenders have played really well yesterday, but if you're going to sit in and try and spring counters, you need some sort of quality going forward. And they had absolutely none of it. And your man Beto, I mean, I know it was against Arsenal, <laughs> but, and he seems like a nice character and there seems to be a, a bit of a wholesome feel about used to playing KFC and no one can match his effort. Well, you know i think that's a little bit naive if you go to the premier league most of the players will try hard but on top of that most of them have quality as well so um we're going to need a little bit more than giving a 110% every week beto but look they'll have easier games or they'll have less difficult games should i say but um i thought that was a another really really good win for arsenal on the road that you boys thought was a banana skin but um maybe i was a little bit more intelligent with my prediction on that one
2: <laughs> yeah uh, no- uh, go on. I, I think the most interesting talking point from that game was the fact that Arteta um, dropped Ramsdale and brought back Raya, And I thought he had a good game, confident, took loads of crosses. Um, and then Arteta said after the game that his biggest regret for, from his three and a half years as a manager is that he didn't... There's two times where he wanted to make a substitute in the middle of the game. Um, and he went on and... I think it was the 65th minute or the 85th minute. He wanted to, to I guess, to take off Ramsdale at yep. some stage, and he didn't do it. And um, they went on to draw the game. And he said he really regretted it. So, be interesting to see how that dynamic goes on throughout the season and whether or not he makes like a, a mid-game substitute. Which I don't know. I don't know about that, to be honest. I think goalkeeper is the one position where, like, if I was a centre half. Or a, or a right back or left back or whatever I wouldn't want to be looking across the pitch and seeing Ramsdale coming on for Raya sort of in the 65th minute um, for no reason other than Raya being injured um, so I we, think he's full of shit yeah, yeah. yeah. I,
1: think, I think he just I just think he likes the, that sort of Raya style of goalkeeper and this is just a little transitional phase where he's having to try and cover the fact that he's literally just dropped Ramsdale and like you said he said he regret his two biggest regrets were not making that decision well like you say Ramsdale's played every game and goal for him so he's talking about his two biggest regrets is not being able to drag Aaron Ramsdale um, and even if he changed his mind and wanted to do that this season he could have done it with whatever keeper was on the bench last season he's brought David Raya in I think because a bit like Pepe when I'm not calling Aaron Ramsdale Joe Hart, but do you remember he had a big shift and and brought someone else Edison in, which was obviously a good thing? I think he just prefers that style of keeper and would prefer to have him um you know playing the ball out from the back well, rather than Aaron
2: Ramsdale. Yeah, you, you you bring up City and Pep and um Joe Hart and that and it's it exactly mirrors that situation because Pep actually, if you remember rightly, brought in Claudio Bravo this season before he brought in Pep uh, b- before he brought in Edison. And he just and, went and at the time Joe
1: Hart wasn't like finished, was he? He was no. still like City's number one type thing. So
2: yeah, so it'd be interesting. And and I've I actually just tweeted on on um, Deadline Day Live a story from um Sammy Mock Bell, I think his name is from um the Daily Mail, basically saying that Bayern and Chelsea are monitoring Ramsdale's situation. So and Ramsdale doesn't strike him as the type of character who wants who doesn't want to play every single minute of every single game. So mm-hmm. Are you looking at he will? I, I predict he'll probably leave Arsenal in the summer, um, just because I think over the course of the season you're right. Raya will just eventually be number one, and and um, and that will be that for that position.
0: Yeah, he's, he's he's definitely done that. I think I think he's kind of said to Raya, look, I'm gonna have to bide your time. Aaron's sort of number one and deserve this, but he's probably looked at the start of the Champs League campaign as the opportunity to bring Raya in for the prem and sort of say to Aaron that he's going to play in the midweek kind of cup fixtures and the early stages of the champs league he's probably said like oh aaron look wednesday champs league music you home psv you know you'll like that won't you and i think that what's going to happen now is that david Rea is going to go on to be number one and then before you know it as you say ramsdale will just be sat there and he's not the type of character i think who's gonna see your
2: um your 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 impression of arteta there it's the most patronising thing I've ever heard of. Oh, but he will be he be like, oh, Aaron, look,
0: you know, Champs League music, all the players buzz it. He's a passion merchant, Ramsdale, and he's not that good. So, yeah, I think uh, I think oh. his time is nigh.
2: <laughs> all right, let's move on to Bournemouth Chelsea then. Come on. Right. Tomo, Nicholas
0: Jackson talk. Uh, he is... Crap. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that. But he is top of the leaderboard in the Prem for a stat. Uh, he has got four yellow cards. Uh, in five games and is one away from a suspension, which Chelsea fans must be absolutely crying out for to happen because, uh, again, probably going to have to eat a little bit of humble pie here. Lauro's proved to be right with him uh, on this one, but he looks absolutely dreadful in front of goal. And I mean, like, couldn't hit a barn door. Chelsea fans called him the next Drogba, but wow, he's bad.
2: Yeah, I think over the course of the season, we'll probably be apologising to Lauro about our shouts quite quite a lot because, uh, to be fair to us though, I basically said that he, he showed some encouraging signs, albeit rash in front of goal. And basically that's just continued. So it's not, so basically it's not sort of like form with him where he's like, it could click any minute. I feel like this is just him now and... <laughs> I'm going to bring Lauren in because he's pissing himself, so
0: come on.
1: No, no, I ain't got anything more to say. See every single podcast episode we've done, I said about Chelsea. You're right, it, it's not that he's not, I'm not saying he's not playing well and he's not affecting the game and you, you, you notice him, don't you? He's a noticeable player and he's obviously a little bit erratic as well if he's getting yellow carded every week. He just isn't a goal scorer. He doesn't know. It's not. It's not even just his shooting. It's the way he comes onto the ball. It's his positioning where his body is. Well, I sound like I'm some sort of attacking coach now, but you can just tell straight away that he's not a goal scorer. He might be a handy player, but Chelsea's big. If Chelsea had had a goal scorer in this for the start of the season, maybe it was in Cuckoo, But if they had had years gone by, a Drogba or a Costa, they'd be doing a lot better, and the narrative around them would be a lot less negative than it is now. And that's what's. Um, killing them at the minute. That's their Achilles heel. Not Nicholas Jackson, just the fact that he ain't a goal scorer and no one else in that team is at the moment.
2: It's the, I want to bring up actually Murph uh, a little uh, graphic you put in our WhatsApp group earlier actually because the one of the interesting things about Chelsea's start to the season, we did, is basically they've only won one game this year oh sorry, not this year, this season and it's uh, against Luton who I mean, if if Luton are anything to go by, do you know what I mean? They they look like they're going to lose every single game this season. Um, Yeah. And they, so I think, what was it, according to Opta rankings, they've had the easiest run of fixtures um, at the start of the season from everyone.
0: Yeah. So Opta and I think Sky Sports put together a a graphic, which is strength of schedule with hardest fixtures to easiest fixtures based on the uh, difficulty of the first five fixtures. So, Uh, Hardest fixtures at the top were Newcastle um, and Man United are up there as well, um, which maybe kind of shows why they're both maybe struggled compared to where they wanted to. Um, Easiest fixtures, you've got the top four, Chelsea, Tottenham, Man City and Arsenal, uh, and then West Ham. And you can say West Ham, Arsenal, Man City, Spurs have all made really good starts to the season. But Chelsea, out of every club, have had the easiest run of fixtures. And I think they're on what, four points from five games and obviously going to run into some difficult games soon as well. So based on that, and I, I you know, I know that we we take the mickey out of stats sometimes, but that looks like quite a powerful graphic that, and I think that would potentially be really worrying if you were um Potch, not that he'll read too much into that, but overall with the fixtures he's got coming up, he could be in a bit of trouble fairly soon because I think Chelsea fans accepted him based on him being a great coach, even though he was ex-Spurs manager. But it doesn't look like he's getting a tune out of these boys. And people say Chelsea are injury, injury ravished, but it doesn't really matter, does it, when you sat on four points from five games
2: with the fixtures they've had. And you've spent a billion quid. I know it's not all Pochettino's money. Um, it just feels like the the ownership there just made strange decision after strange decision. Like, they just... like. Okay, they're signing all these really good quality young players, but like every single successful team in in history has got a good balance of young, old, and um, and players who are in their prime. Like, what do they just assume that all these twenty two year old, twenty four year olds are going to just basically be good in four years' time and then just win everything? Or like because Pochettino's he's made quite a lot of sort of points about the young players and just saying. But they need time. Like mudrick he looks not like an £80 million strike, or a winger, um, but he signed an eight and a half year deal because he's only 21 or 22 or whatever it is. So they've definitely got the balance wrong there, it seems. Um, and these sort of things will happen where the last couple of games, it just hasn't worked and, and it hasn't clicked. And it's because young players are inconsistent. So... Do you know what I mean? So you won't get a tune out of them for 38 games a season.
1: But then they go and bench, bench Hillwell. Like I, like the selection is so weird. Like you just talk about there being a little bit of a, an overbalance in young players. And then you've got an established left back who would get in pretty much every team in the league. And then you go and drop him. And he's in my fantasy football team. That's so annoying. But you're right. It will be interesting because it's easy to pull the trigger on someone like Graham Potter, isn't it? Who's not been at that level before. And you can think, oh, we gave you a chance, Graham. But Poch is sort of in that elite category, isn't he? That creme de la creme. So if he's not doing it, where do you go next? So, yeah, I think Bowley's next move on that one, if they do run into some difficult fixtures and, and more disappointing results, would be really interesting to see.
0: I I would just say on the Chilwell bit, because he's been in my fantasy team as well, so I did a little bit of uh, investigation on that. And Potch has come out and basically said that Chilwell, when he's been playing, has been playing in a more attacking role. So I think people brought him into the fantasy team thinking he'll start every game and should get attacking returns because Chelsea have uh, favourable fixtures and look like they're building a decent side. He said that Mudrick's now going to play that position that Chilwell does. Um, He plays kind of Colwell, Silva, Diassi and Gusto with Colwell almost like left centre-back but also a bit left-backy and then that sort of attacking wing-back slash winger. So, I think he said he's going to play Mudrick. So, I don't think Chilwell is going to be getting many minutes at Chelsea at all.
1: And why wouldn't you play Mudrick? She's looked phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah. weird, isn't it? I don't yeah, understand it's it. Weird, just yeah. overthinking it.
0: They, they too are injury, injury-ravished, as I've said. So, Poch might feel that he deserves more time but Todd Bowley doesn't. Strike me as the most kind of level headed level headed geezer. So, um, I imagine he'll be under some pressure already. It wouldn't surprise me if they start offering that role to someone like I don't know, like Nagelsman or something like that soon. Just trying to bring someone else in to get a tune from them.
2: Yeah, I'd like to know about that. that. No, look, I, I think, uh, <laughs> Pochettino. <laughs> it's been five games, like you say. Come on, let's give let's give him a bit more time, and like he said, give the youngsters a bit more time. But A lot of questionable things going on at a club A little bit like United
0: Quick question boys, we'll finish on this before we do round up And move on, Uh, just want an answer Tomo, would you rather be Currently, Ten Hag or Pochettino
2: Well, as a Man United fan I'd rather be the Man United manager Math
0: Yeah, I mean I was looking For a bit more of a level-headed response
2: Loro
1: Pochettino
0: Okay, thanks chaps (laughs) Guys, (laughs) <laughs> guys <laughs> uh wrap up of the other fi- uh, other action in the premier league so uh aston villa uh went on to uh to get a victory um looking like they weren't going to a late great goal um for them and they won that game 3-1 against palace uh, Eze had a couple of chances to put that game to bed and palace probably would have thought they uh should have won that but uh, a good result for Emery, and then Fulham one one 0 against Luton. Uh, Carlos Vinisca scoring. I think he's pushing to get Jimenez out of the team now and start for Fulham. And yeah, Luton are on zero points. I think or on one point, and they are very much going down. We'll move on to the Championship. Uh, Loro, as it, again probably going to have to apologise here. I think I said that Millwall looked a bit of a tricky fixture for Leeds, but uh, I didn't watch the game. But judging by the scoreline. Doesn't look like it played out that way. And a couple goals for your uh, main man.
1: No need to apologise. It can look a tricky fixture. But I just, like I've been saying, it's been growing at Leeds, this kind of get that transitional month out the way. And then when all the cards are on the table, we can assess. And my assessment was, blimey, we look really, really good. And we've got an, embarrassing, an embarrassment of riches up front. We started with Somerville, Nonto on the wings, with Pirro and Rutter sort of linking up up front. And then James, uh, Dan James coming off the bench, Jaden Anthony. And in the championship, that's really scary. But the, the thing that's really pleasing me is we're playing from a solid platform now. We're getting in the game first. We're getting at a foothold in the game. And then we're springing with quality moments. And listen, I loved the Biel era. But every single game, it was either we were going at it or we weren't left, you know, seven on one at the back on occasions. And it just felt like if we weren't scoring, they were. It's so nice as a Leeds fan to have a little bit of trust in that defensive setup, Ethan Ampadu sat in front of it as well and just being able to get into a game and win on our quality rather than win by outscoring an opponent and go into them. I think that's the first time we've won at Millwall since 2012. So it's a difficult place to go, not because they're a particularly good footballing team, but you've got to sort of calm them down and they always start 100 miles an hour and you've got to get a foothold and that's what we did. And the first got two more goals for my man, Joel Pirro, who's now my favourite footballer in in uh, in world football i absolutely love him he's playing almost like harry kane for us like he's dropping in he's kind of playing 10 but not 10 like james madison 10 like dennis Burkamp. do you know what i mean not an attacking midfielder and off the striker 10 and the the relationship he seems to be forming with genie rutter up front is uh yeah, something to behold. And those two are going to be an absolute nightmare for defences this season. So I didn't even think Millwall were that bad, by the way. It was just those quality moments that they couldn't handle. I think all three, all three goals were on the break, pace and quality. And it was just, yeah, we got Hull on Wednesday and Watford on Saturday. So maybe I'll be eating my words next week. But I think this is the start of something really special.
2: Bye, I, want, I wanted to ask you actually, Laura, about Ethan Ampadu because a little quirky stat when he, when he joined Leeds was that he... Um, he was chelsea's longest serving player um when he left and obviously mm. he's been here there and everywhere been to i think venicia in italy i think he did he go to he had a stint in rb leipzig at, at one stage um and obviously he's joined you guys for 7 million how has he looked in in your midfield
1: he he's been our best signing so far he's played every single game and he's just he's brilliant on the ball and he's brilliant at breaking the play up, and he just looks a presence in there. And you look at players like Caicedo going for 115 million and Lavia or whatever, even Amberdu at 7 million. I'm not saying he's on the same level as them, but I almost am. I'm thinking he's <laughs> definitely not 10 times worse than them, yeah. and he's come in and just fit like a glove. All of the signings that we've had minutes out of have looked great. He's probably been the pick of the bunch at the moment, and that transition from... What he is is that transition from defence to attack, or the other way around and breaking up play, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'd rather have him over Tyler Adams, put it that way. He looks a better player than him, I think.
2: Oh, good, yeah, it's good, great
0: result for Leeds. Uh, they, I think, they're now only two points off the playoff, still early days, but a great result for them. Uh, top of the championship, Preston, they beat Plymouth, uh, 2 1, so another win for them. They're absolutely flying. Uh, there, Ipswich won again, they beat Sheffield Wednesday, albeit Sheffield Wednesday, struggling badly, but. We spoke uh last time out Tomo about Friday night football uh, Leicester versus Southampton and I think uh, your missus wanted to watch a film did you get to watch the game and if you did what did you make of it
2: Yeah I did I watched the game yeah um uh missus wasn't too happy but yeah look it was one of those they conceded in the first minute didn't they and then they conceded in the last minute of the first half so it was like a bit of a horrific sort of a horror show for Southampton um Leicester looked good though, didn't they? Was it the Indeedee goal? I think they they passed the ball around 32 times and then scored. Um, was that the third goal or the second goal? I can't remember. That was the but,
0: third
2: yeah, it was just a great result for Leicester. And I've just had a look at their fixtures coming up. They've got a tough run of fixtures. They've got Norwich away um, in the week, I believe. Then you've got Bristol City at home, which obviously they'd expect to win. I think they've got Liverpool away in the Carabao Cup, Blackburn away and then Preston at home, and obviously we talked about Preston there being top of the league. Um, if they get through all those fixtures, which Leicester being Leicester in the Championship, I know we spoke a little bit about it being a bit of a swing fixture on on Thursday, but all of a sudden they just look like they might just run away with the league. I know Preston have started well, but Leicester look, it looks a little bit ominous for the rest of the league, I think.
0: Yeah, I think them and Leeds might, might be the the cream that rises to the top there and maybe of them being relegated. There's no, not too much shock there, but um, yeah, I think we started right at one of our first pods didn't we We spoke about who would would do best out of those three sides and three new managers. And it looks like uh, Russell Martin's going to be the one that's going to struggle there.
1: Just a quick one in the championship, Michael Duff, who's succeeded um, Russell Martin at Swansea and he's had a terrible start. They've lost, quite a lot of games I think he's under a bit of pressure but he said one of the biggest challenges is coming, trying to get them back out of such an extreme sort of philosophy that Russell Martin had them under and I think Southampton is the opposite at the moment and this is what I sort of said at the start of the season as well I I worry that is he going to have the time to implement that extreme sort of possession based style and make it into tangible points, quick enough, and I just thought they looked really easy to play against. And part of that is when you come up against quality, and you don't quite know the system, or you don't quite, you're not quite drilled enough into what the manager wants you to do. It, it can be quite obvious for teams with r- real quality like Leicester have just to open you up. And I just thought they picked them off and done you a what, job on them.
2: Do you know what? I've drawn, he reminds me of, and uh, the last couple of games for Southampton reminds me of la- like late. Uh, sorry, late Louis Van Gaal at United, where he's just sideways passing all the time and recycling the ball and keeping the balls for keeping the balls' sake, and there's not yeah. really any excitement. Um, no. So I don't, I don't know what Southampton fans feel like, but it does feel a little bit like, yeah, they're not quite, it's not, it's not quite working, it's not quite connecting at the minute. Um, but I mean, I suppose that 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 will, that will happen when you lose five 0 and four one in a row. Do you know what I mean?
0: They sold big players as well, didn't they? They sold big, big players. So, yeah, they're they still
1: got big, big players though. And they brought they brought in Flynn Downs to replace War Prowse in midfield to come in the other way from West Ham. They've still got like Che Adams, Adam Armstrong. These are like Mm. proper good. Joe Ariba come off the bench, didn't he? They've got really good Championship players. Ryan Fraser. Um, Yeah, it's just turning. There's possession football, and then there's possession football that wins, and it's finding that transition which needs to happen sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, and then just just to look at the other end of the table, because uh, we sometimes concentrate on the teams doing well, um, bottom four there, so Rotherham, Swansea, Sheffield Wednesday, who maybe people would expect to be be down there, especially with Swansea losing their main man to Leeds, but right at the bottom of the table, Middlesbrough on one point, and Michael Carrick last year seemed to have them purring and be on the cusp of, uh, of, of something special, but now it looks like his job's probably really at risk there. But I think they've lost a couple of their big players, haven't they, Loro? And, and
1: you haven't... lose to Barakom and Cameron Archer, who were probably the two best strikers in the league last season and don't replace them. Um, maybe wouldn't expect it to be bottom of the league, but it's a tough one, isn't it? But it's yeah. it's weird to see, because yeah. as soon as my, Middlesbrough Stoke struggled under Wilder at the start of last season, as soon as Carrot came in, he started winning, they shot right up. So although they have lost big, big players and not really replaced them with the same quality, um, that's a dire start to the season. Yeah, 1.0 right, to take the
2: yes. game. It's the worst start, but I don't think they've got a really good owner there, isn't there? And that Gibson, who's been there a long time. And I think he'll be wise enough to the fact of, like you just said, they've lost their two best players. One, because he was on loan, and two, because they sold him to Ajax. Um, I think Carrick's job won't be in danger just yet. Cue, cue him getting sacked tomorrow, but. Um, yeah, but he, he come out after the game and just said, look, last season they took all the plaudits and he took all the plaudits. And now it's time to sort of like dig in and sort of uh, get yourself out of it. So I think they'll be okay um, moving forward. I've spoke, um, you know, my Mrs. Frombo and most of her family are season ticket holders. So I actually spoke to her mum yesterday about it. And she said exactly what you said, Laro, Just They just look like they miss Akpom and um, Archer and basically haven't um, successfully replaced them. Um, so it'd be yeah, I'm just looking at their
1: team now and yeah, by yeah, like yeah, the midfield, Johnny Housen's obviously a season pro. He's been there for a while and they've got O'Brien in the middle. Is that Lewis O'Brien? It is. I completely missed that transfer. So that's a really good sort of solid midfield they've got and they're a lot like sort of Dale Fry and um, Matt Crooks are still there. They've got some good players, but the reason that they were good last year is because they scored loads of goals from those two players. And if you replace it with a young lad, I don't even recognise his name up front, then you're going to struggle. So like you say, hopefully they'll stick by him and then they can grow again over time and maybe bring some more players in.
0: Guys, we'll move on to League One then. Um We spoke before at Exeter being top of the table and they, they are back on top. Uh, beat Cheltenham uh, 1-0 at the weekend. Aside that I wouldn't have had anywhere near top of League One. In fact, probably would have at the start of the season had them down towards the bottom of the table, though, in second place, uh, and do have a game in hand to go top. Port Vale. Loro, what, what's happening there at Port Vale then?
1: Well, I don't know, but I just thought it was worth mentioning because they lost the first game of the season 7-0 to Barnsley. And then I think maybe teams have taking their eye off the ball with them or taking the foot off the gas when they're looking at Port Vale, thinking it might be an easy three points. And sometimes maybe a really horror start to the season in terms of the first game can act as a bit of a cover to go under the radar a little bit and pick up results. And since then, they've gone to the Valley and beat Charlton. They've beat Oxford away, who were flying. They beat Reading at home. And um, I mean, they're second in the table with minus two goals. Uh, goal difference. So they're not scoring many goals, but they are winning games. So Andrew Cosby's is doing a good job there. And um, they've just brought in Jesse Debra today as well. He was a really good fullback in the National League, actually, when Yobo were there. He was at Halifax and they, I uh, think he left in the summer and he's been looking for a club. So that's a good addition. I'm not saying they're going to be there at the end of the season, but losing 7-0 on the opening day and being second after seven or eight games is pretty impressive, isn't it? And, uh, yeah. I mean, same league too, actually. Notts County lost 5-0 or 5-1 on the first game and... Sutton, who beat them, that they have lost every single game since, and not County a second, but that's the football league for you, and that's why we love it, isn't it?
0: It is indeed, and then you've got Oxford in third, and Stevenage, maybe some sides there who uh, who you wouldn't expect in exit at Port Vale and Stevenage before your what I'd call leading protagonists in Barnsley, Portsmouth, Bolton. Uh, I know we do Paul Warmwatch watch every week, but he would be absolutely gutted that they can see a ninety-fifth-minute equalizer against Portsmouth. That would have been a big result for them. Uh, a team who managed to get all three though uh, at the weekend and beat Bolton, actually beat ten-man Bolton, is Reddin. So uh, I think their first league win of the season, or um, one of their first ones. And uh, Tomo, bring you in on Reddin.
2: Yeah, so I just wanted to touch on them. Um, basically, obviously, in early in the week they got another. Um deducted they I think they were deducted three points, um, which brings their total, I think, of deducted points over the last couple of seasons to sixteen. Um, so really tough for the Redden fans, but and I think in the 16th minute of the game, the game was stopped because the fans pro protested by throwing uh tennis balls onto the pitch. And <laughs> the funny thing about that was that the game restarted and Bolton scored straight away. And as a Redding fan, you're thinking, bloody hell, this, this week has been long, um, but give them credit and give them credit where it's due. Uh, they fought back. Charlie Savage's, um Robbie Savage's son scored the equaliser and it was an absolute class finish um, from outside of the box. And then I think in the 86th minute, an 18 year old come off the bench, Kalen Vickers, and he scored the winner. Um, so just a bit of positive, a positive sort of end to the week for a, for Reading fans, and I, I just watched the highlights just then, and I'd seen that they're not getting good, great crowds anymore and it's just sad to see really, because obviously they're a former Prem team, Um, but I was happy that they managed to get all three.
0: Yeah, and apologies, I didn't realise they'd had points deducted, so it wasn't their first win of the season, but probably even more impressive if they had to uh pull themselves out of the relegation, starting on minus, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they go. Uh, and then a quick Quick look at League Two, guys. So, uh, Lauro mentioned um, Notts County. I think they actually were Friday night football, uh, weren't they? Uh, And I think they went and and won at Salford. Both teams down to 10 men there, but won 2-0. But Gillingham, uh, a team that lauro has got in a a bet that I know that he's put on to be promoted. They won again against Morecambe and they sit top. Um, So then Notts County, Swindon uh, won again at the weekend. And then out of nowhere... Wrexham are up into fourth. I thought that they were mid-table, languishing, not doing well, but looks like they've won three on the bounce, put Grimsby to the sword at the weekend, and they're up to fourth. So uh, we we spoke in our preview pods before the season started about the strength of the uh, National League and Notts County and Wrexham both showing that. I fully expect Wrexham to probably get back into the, uh, or get up into those automatic positions soon if they carry on like that. So testament to that league uh, and then at the bottom Sutton three points Tranmere three points Doncaster five uh, they haven't recovered from what Beto did to them in the cup uh, and then Forest Green and Harrogate and then Salford there so you know what the uh, class in 92 are like with their managers so it'd be interesting to see if Gary Neville's having any thoughts there on uh, on replacing their manager Boys, we'll finish with a little uh, round-up, as we always do, on the Glovers. Uh, they got their FA Cup journey off against Stoneham. Uh, interest from me, beyond just the, the overall result, because I'm playing Stoneham on Wednesday. Lauro, what was the game like? Uh, I know that you won handsomely, but also just a little touch point on Stoneham as well, if you can.
1: Yeah, they were um, they were the best fans that we've had a huge part this season. I'll say that straight away. I think they brought a couple of hundred and they were loud and noisy all game. I guess you'd expect that. Cause I think a lot of them were saying, not trying to be patronized. I think it was like the biggest game in their clubs history. And in the first half, their keeper, I mean, his goal was being peppered to be honest. And he made some really, really good saves. But as soon as the first one went in sort of midway through the first half with a Jordan young free kick followed in by a, a header from a corner. And the second half was just, um, I think probably the fitness level showed. And when, when Stoner put everything into 55 minutes at Hewish Park on their big day and just seeing Reese Murphy come on with fresh legs, it must've been, um, it must've been a difficult call one to take. And he came on and scored a hat trick. So, I mean, I'm not, it's a result you expect really, isn't it? We should be beating teams like that with the, the full strength side that we put out. Um, but it was a really good performance. And although it was against lesser opposition, it was great to see the football and the goals flying in and it was an entertaining FA Cup day. So, uh, yeah, Stoneham can be proud of themselves, but uh, into the next round for Yeovil. Yeah, and
0: Stoneham have got the uh, the very real proposition of going from Rhys Murphy to Alex Murphy in the course of four days. So I'm sure they're absolutely shitting themselves at that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, well done to them. Uh, I'm sure they enjoyed their day out and uh, yeah, see if uh, Sherborne can put them to the sword on Wednesday or not. Boys, we're rapidly running out of time, but just quickly want to touch on uh, Monday Night Football. I know the show's just uh, getting underway, but Tomo, uh, Forrest v Burnley. Forrest have made a good start, Got a, a, maybe should have got more at Old
2: Trafford, did go and win at
0: Chelsea. Expecting them to put Burnley away tonight?
2: Yeah, you'd expect so, wouldn't you? With, um, with our boy a uh, one year up front, he's, um, he's scored or assisted in his last eight Premier League games. Um, so I'm... Gonna come. I'm gonna finish this podcast and basically put a bet on him to score or assist. Um, Burnley haven't had a greatest of starts. So if they? I feel like they've had a lot of turnover of players, etc. And they'll they'll take a quite quite a few games to maybe get his best team. I, I'm not really sure about Burnley to be honest. I, I was expecting more from them, but they've obviously they've obviously had a slow start. But yeah, you'd expect Forrest to win tonight um, at home as well, isn't it? So yeah. Although, or all, 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 what I will say is, Burnley have beat Forest at the ground at the City Ground um, already this season. They beat them one 0 in the Carabao Cup. Um, so just that's an interesting um, thing to say about the game. But yeah, I, I just expect Forest to be um, too strong for them.
1: Man United, Newcastle, and Chelsea—three of the next four fixtures for Burnley. They need to win. They need to get off the mark, don't they? Otherwise, they could end up being down there. I mean, we might have two teams that break Derby's record of 11 points or whatever it was they got relegated in 2008 with. Um, I'm looking forward to watching that game because I haven't actually watched, uh, other than the Man City game, at the start of the season, which was a bit of a write-off. I haven't actually watched Burnley properly yet. So, uh, yeah, let's see what they're all about. But I'm with you. I think our boy, Tewo, might be uh, in the goals this evening.
0: Yeah, and uh, I've just realised that Burnley have got United next so fully expecting Forrest to put them away and then 8pm on Saturday really see Burnley get their season off to a flyer when United come to town I'm sure Vincent Company would revel in that boys that's all we've got time for we'll wrap it up there we'll be back on Thursday uh, where we will review the European action that the uh, English teams have got underway with and we'll preview the weekend's action as well but always a pleasure and speak to you all soon. Cheers take care. One, two